Welcome back to Cronford's Guide to Weird Fiction, Folklore, Mythology, and Everything in Between, where I, Fern, talk about folklore and mythology, and Crow talks about not butt cheeks. Weird fiction. Weird fiction. Thank you. <laughs> You're welcome. And we are doing a second recording of this episode because technology failed us on the first one, and I am still heartbroken about it. It's okay. You're still going to get authentic reactions out of me because through the eyes of someone with ADHD, everything is new. I have a very short-term memory. That's right. So today we are talking about one of Rose's absolute favorite subjects, something that she loves deep within her heart. Yes. Rabbits and hares. <laughs> Yay! Lagomorphs. Sam and Max. Lagomorphs. I love Sam and Max. I promised Crow an episode that would put her through hell, and I am literally talking about one of her phobias. <laughs> she literally is. Not bunnies. Hares. Creepy hares. Tell us how you feel about hares. <laughs> I just... I do, okay, so just... To sum it up, I feel like they have seen shit that uh, we are not meant to see. They have knowledge that we are not meant to possess, and you can see it in their eyes. That's right. She was telling me that they look like they have, like, crazy eyes. They really just do. Just big and wild. Yeah, they do. The pupils, you know, they completely, like, they take over. Like, they, they just look like human eyes, just to summarize it. They look like human eyes. They're not like animal eyes. And I do not like it when animals have human eyes. Then you must love goats, because their eyes aren't human at all. Yeah, exactly. I love goats. If you're Probably. a vet, fight me. Throw hands. I will fight you in a McDonald's parking lot. For no good reason. Other than Absolutely she's no reason. Feisty. Exactly. She's I want to fight vets. I want to fight dentists. I don't want to fight nurses, because we're on the same team. Please love me. But I will fight everyone else. Except phlebotomists. You guys are really cool. But yeah. This is a, this is a very random list. Hairs suck. So, we'll get into it right after the music. So, rabbits and hares have a long history of being used as symbols and being used in various ancient religions. And some of the things that they're frequently used to symbolize are women and femininity, female deities, hedgerow magic, which is sort of like a homemaking magic, the sort of magic that you would use to make your life in a homestead easier, the moon, fertility longevity, rebirth, and they're frequently featured in creation myths. They are often paradoxical. They can be both clever and foolish. They can be cowardly and courageous. They can represent hypersexuality and virginity. For example, the Mother Mary is sometimes portrayed with her hand on a white rabbit to suggest that she has overcome sexual temptation. Nice. Yes, <laughs> they are capable of something called superfutation. We have confirmed this in hares. We have not confirmed this in rabbits. But superfutation is this really interesting phenomenon where they can get pregnant when they're already pregnant, which sounds like a nightmare to me. I cannot imagine. 
This can only happen in the late stages of pregnancy. So, for example, a little bit before birth. And basically what happens is if a female hare is impregnated shortly before she gives birth, the little eggs will just kind of hang out and wait until the uterus is empty. And then once she's given birth, they'll just pop on down and take their turn. So it's, it's like they stand in line. They take their turn and they stand in line. It saves them like four days, they found out, so they can give birth like four days faster than they would have otherwise. Rabbits are also seen as having the ability to communicate with the dead, which makes sense because, you know, they go down in their little burrows, they dig in holes, and they go down underground where the dead people are. So it makes sense that they can communicate with them. So they are sometimes seen as messengers from the dead to the living. They're often portrayed as trickster animals, and this is in cultures all over the world. They are portrayed this way in the Americas, in Africa, in Japan, in countries all over. And they're meant, they play kind of the role that uh, Coyote does in some of the myths where they're tricky and smart and clever, but they're also portrayed as kind of dumb sometimes. So this is what we were talking about, them being a little bit paradoxical in some situations. When Africans came from Africa to America on the slave ships, their mythology of the rabbits in Africa mixed with the tales of the Cherokee in the Americas, and several very important pieces of rabbit folklore were born. One was Br'er Rabbit, which was very common in the American South. These were oral stories that were passed around about a rabbit that was a great hero who was very clever, who could overcome some very difficult situations and physically stronger foes through being clever and witty and very smart. At the same time, when in the more real slash Cajun areas, there was another story that was created called Compère Lapin, and this was largely recorded by the folklore Chandler Harris. And this was a trickster rabbit, much like Br'er Rabbit, very much inspired by West African folklore. And Lapin is a rascal. He manages to get into all sorts of tricky situations, much like Br'er Rabbit. But because he's so smooth and clever, and smart, he manages to trick his enemies and get right back out of them. So two very similar pieces of folklore, similar inspirations, kind of that mixing of African folklore with the Cherokee folklore and these smart trickster rabbits. They're interesting stories. I'm not going to go over them today because there's so much rabbit folklore to cover, but definitely interesting stories. Another very common association with the rabbits is the moon. Rabbits and hares have had an association with the moon for literally thousands of years in numerous cultures all over the world. We see it all over Asia and places like Japan and China, and we see it in Mexico and in Indonesia, even in the British Isles and in Northern Europe. It's just all over the place. In Western folklore, a lot of times we talk about the man in the moon. However, the rabbit in the moon is something that is far more familiar to many other cultures. For example, in China, the hare in the moon is seen with a mortar and a pestle and is seen to be mixing the elixir of immortality. 
he is a messenger. They have a female moon deity that he will go send messages from or take messages to. So kind of the messenger of the moon lady, moon deity. Also in the Chinese folklore, rabbits are supposed to be able to conceive from the moonlight alone. They could get pregnant just from like being out there in the moonlight or from licking moonlight off of the male's fur or from swimming, uh, crossing the water during the moonlight. So this whole idea that rabbits get pregnant really easy is a whole thing. And they do. They do. <laughs> There's some, some truth to that mythology. My mom used to keep rabbits when she was younger. And she said that they used to have kids like crazy. So mm -hmm. yeah, the breeding like rabbits thing is no joke. And also, apparently, if you don't keep them in the right environment, their babies come out deformed. So yeah. they had to give the rabbits away. That's too bad. I did not know that. So there's just going on with this like Asian moon rabbit mythology. There's a story from Japan that I'm going to share real quick that shows the good nature of the rabbit and also this moon connection. Because in many cultures, the mythology that we see around rabbit and heirs is fairly positive. In fact, there are so many positive stories about rabbits and them being essentially good that I had to really cherry pick some fucked up ones for Crow because I, th I thought she needed that in her life. But this is not one of the fucked up ones. This is, a, this is an example of a good one. <laughs> unleash it. Unleash it on me. Okay, so in ancient Japan, there was this idea that on the day of the full moon, the monkey, the fox, the otter, and the hare all vowed to perform acts of charity. So they were going around looking for something good to do. And as they went along, they came across an old man who was starving. So they decided they were going to help this old man. The monkey, the fox, and the otter all took the food that they had and they gave it to him. The hare, who was apparently a bad planner, did not bring any food, did not have anything to give. And so what he decided to do was jump into the flame and cook himself so that the man would have something to eat, which I don't think was entirely necessary because the other animals already gave him their food, so it's not like he had nothing at that point. I don't know about that one. <laughs> but it's supposed to embody the idea of service and self-sacrifice. Before I move on, what do you think of that, Crow? What do you think of, of the rabbit? Yeah, I was just going to say, I'm like, but the old man has food. Mm -hmm. But he has food, though. So, like, they gave him food. So why did he have to jump into the fire? And also, wouldn't it be kind of weird? Like, if I invited people over for a potluck and someone forgets to bring food and suddenly she stuffs herself in my oven, I'm, I, I, I don't know how I would feel then. Well, I wouldn't like it. I wouldn't like it at all. I don't think I would like it either. My oven, get the fuck out. I hadn't even thought about that. But yeah, you would really fuck up the oven, wouldn't you? You, you really would. Well, priorities. <laughs> anyway, the old man then reveals himself to be the god of the moon. And he picks up the hare and he takes him with him up to the moon where he lives happily ever after in the night sky. And there's also a version of this where the rumbling of thunder is supposed to be the hare pounding rice into mochi cakes. Another example of a rabbit that is fairly benign is Kaltes, the shape-shifting moon goddess that existed in Western Siberia. 
she liked to roam the hills in the form of a hare. So this is not uncommon for us to see some sort of goddess associated with both rabbits and moonlight. This one is an example in Siberian culture. However, there's a very similar one in Ugrian mythology, which would be like uh, associated with people who later became Hungarian Mm -hmm. and, and other ones as well. And she was sometimes pictured as a beautiful woman, as they all are, this gorgeous woman. And she would wear this headdress with hair's ears. So she was the original gamer girl. The gamer girl. <laughs> I hadn't yes. thought about that, but I guess putting animal ears on beautiful women is a thing that goes way back. <laughs> So now let's go to one of the most famous of all rabbits in folklore. I was going to ask you if you can guess, but considering this is the second time we're recording this one, you better know this time. What's the most famous rabbit in folklore, Crow? The Easter Bunny. Easter Bunny. She totally failed to get that the first time. I did. I said Bugs Bunny. I had to tell her. Yeah, I didn't know. So the Easter Bunny... It's a, such a strange story, right? It's a an egg-laying bunny. How did that even happen? You know, why do we have a rabbit who is a mammal coming around giving colorful eggs? Well, when we look back at Easter traditions, there's something interesting that we note, and it's that the word for Easter in the vast majority of historically Christian countries comes from some sort of word related to Passover usually related to like some sort of Hebrew word for Passover, but not in English and German. In English and German, we both have words that sound a little bit more like Easter. The German word is is fairly close to it. And so Mm -hmm. the question always was, where did this come from? Why is it different? In 1835, a folklorist that you may have heard of, Jacob Grimm, who is one of the famous Grimm brothers. Brothers Grimm. (laughs) Brothers Grimm. He made an argument that the Easter hare was supposed to be connected with a goddess that he named Ostara. Now, the word Ostara, it's not something he just pulled out of his ass, but it's also not something that really existed before that time when he came up with this in the first place either. He did kind of make it up, but kind, it was also based on some things. Ostarn is a word in German that um, is used to refer to this kind of thing, like the Easter season. However, the, the specific name Ostara did not exist prior to him saying it. He said that where he was getting this name from was from an Anglo-Saxon goddess called Estre or Ostre. And that one we do have record of going pretty far back. In fact, the first written record that we had for a long time was from 731, and it was written down by an Anglo-Saxon monk named Bede. And he is considered okay. to be the father of English history. He's a very important historian. And so he, he made a record saying like, hey, there is this goddess, Estre, and she seems to come from a pagan origin, seems to be related to hares and moonlight. Her holiday has become associated with the Christian holiday of Easter, which is why they call it Easter. So we now have a situation where the two biggest holidays in Christianity have some sort of pagan origin in in the way that we deal with them, at least in the English-speaking world. So that's fun. (laughs) 
Is anyone surprised? I feel like we all know at this point that culture influences religion in ways most people are not willing to admit. And I mean all religion and all cultures. It is interesting. It is interesting to look at it. I know I've told you this before, but like in the the more orthodox religions, there was a, a great deal of old folklore and mythology that made it into the religion to the point where when I initially did some research on like Muroi, for example, mm-hmm. the best resource that I had was actually the Romanian Orthodox <laughs> website where yeah. they, they're they like, this area, this is what people believe in this area. This is what people believe. And I was like, well, you know, there's this mixing of culture and old folklore and mythology and re- religion that still happens. The goddess Estrella seems to be quite old. Bede made the observation that her holiday and the Easter holiday were kind of combining which is fascinating. Fascinating. Okay. Now, once once Grimm wrote about Ostara, which again, that name is his creation, later folklore and publications began to expand on the story. If you can imagine that around Easter time, a lot of times journals and other publications would want to write something in- interesting about the history of Easter. We still do this. And so... In the 1880s, we did see a story come out where someone was trying to trace the the origin of the Easter Bunny. He made some interesting observations that we had a little trouble figuring out where he got it for a while. But he basically said this. He says, based on the old story of Estre and the hare, there are really two versions. One is that Estre found a bird with frozen wings, and she felt bad for it, so she decided to try and save its life by turning it into a rabbit. However, because it used to be a bird, it maintained its ability to lay eggs. Mm -hmm. The other story is that a bird who laid beautiful eggs was proud in like an obnoxious way, like haughty and annoyed Estray with the pride. And so Estray turned her into a rabbit, But then the bird felt so terrible and was so, so sad. Well, the rabbit now, I guess, that Estray took pity on her and allowed her to continue to lay her beautiful eggs once a year. So that, we believe, is based on a misunderstanding of a line, an older line, that suggested that it's possible that prior to a rabbit being part of this Easter myth, it was a bird. And... Instead of saying like, okay, so this story, uh, the story of the Easter rabbit used to be an Easter bird, this guy was like, well, what this means then is the animal used to be a bird and then turned into a rabbit, and therefore it lays beautiful eggs. And so we think that's kind of where the whole beautiful eggs thing comes from, you know, that the, the rabbit started laying the beautiful eggs around the time of this publication as opposed to this being something older. So this is what happens when you don't pay enough attention. No, so it's basically like when, so sirens were initially thought to have, you know, they were basically, they had the heads of beautiful women and then their bodies were that of like birds. And then they Mm -hmm. were taken and turned into sea creatures and people started confusing mermaids with sirens, whereas they're two very different creatures of folklore. That's what I'm, that's what this reminds me of. Yeah, well, with that reference in particular, it comes from Homer's Odyssey, right? And the 
issue was that he described the sirens being on the rocks, but he didn't describe what they looked like. And so people were like, okay, what kind of animal would be on the rocks? Well, maybe it's some sort of mermaid. But now we've done more research and know a little bit more. We are more familiar with what the Greeks thought sirens were and that they were birds. So, yeah, it, it is kind of, sometimes folklore and mythology is like a thousands years old game of telephone where we keep trying to pass stuff on and it gets a little bit mixed up every time we try and retell it. Now we're getting better at being able to go back to older sources and sort things out. But for a long time, we were not good at that. <laughs> Which is fair. Now, the exciting thing is recent archaeology has really gone a long ways in proving that there was this cult of Estre that stretched across Britain and Germany. So it was something that was in both places, which is why we see the, the word Easter in both places. The, the German word is similar enough to that that you can see the, the origins. But basically, we have been able to find artifacts now that support the existence of this goddess, because for a long time we had Bede's word, and that was about it. But now there, we, there's more. There's more. We have artifacts. We have extensive things that support that there was this cult of estray and that the hares slash rabbits were a very important part of it. Feel free to look up the artifacts because they actually are kind of cute little rabbit artifacts that I, I enjoyed looking at them. I'll try and remember to link my article that had pictures in it. Yes, please. In addition to the Anglo-Saxon connection with hares and rabbits, we can see that it was also very important in Celtic lore. There's a great deal of evidence that there was venerations of rabbits in ancient Celtic slash Druidic lore. Celts used rabbits and hares for various sorts of fortune-telling, a.k.a. divination, and other practices related to shaman. Mm -hmm. They would study how the rabbits moved, their tracks, their mating dances. They would sacrifice the rabbits and look for mystic signs within their entrails. They did believe, this. they were one of the cultures that believed that because rabbits and hares burrowed underground, they would be able to communicate with the spirit world. And uh, they did believe that rabbits could carry messages from the spirit world up to the living world so they could facilitate communication with the dead. Druids believed that rabbits brought death. So if you were outside and a rabbit ran at you, that was a sign that your death was imminent. You were going to take a swift trip to the underworld very soon. Oh, wow. I'm so shocked. I'm Rabbits, an omen of death? What? Who could have possibly seen this coming? And I'm not saying this because we've already recorded this. I, I'm like, I told you. You never believe me. You never listen. <laughs> the other thing is, though, because that, that doesn't necessarily mean that they saw rabbits as bad. They didn't. We have to remember that many cultures, especially earlier cultures, had a healthier relationship with death than we do. We see death as sort of this horrible, terrible thing where everything ends and it's tragic and awful. Other cultures didn't have that sort of relationship with death. They saw it as more passing from one stage to the next. And, you know, they celebrated it a lot of times and saw good in it. Okay. There was a belief, and this ends up being a very important belief, 
that wise old women would be able to transfer into hares at night. Now, that is something that we see echoed in throughout European tradition later on as well. And in fact, it did lead into the witch trials, aspects of the witch trials that was carried over in the belief of witchcraft in medieval Europe. But of course, for the the Celts, that was not something that they saw as problematic. They saw it as a good thing. And that was part of why they were so respectful of hares and rabbits is because that could be potentially be your grandma (laughs) when you come across a rabbit, you know, or some other wise woman that you should show respect to. So it was very taboo to eat, uh, to eat grandmas, to eat rabbits (laughs) for that reason. I'm sorry, that was perfect. <laughs> to eat your grandma, it was seen as very. <laughs> it wasn't even to eat old women. It was like it's very taboo to eat grandma. So is it okay Wait, to eat grandpa? It's taboo to eat grandma. <laughs> I love I it. I meant to say rabbits, though. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. I absolutely love it. But this idea that. Old ladies, wise old ladies, and magical old ladies would gain the ability to transform into rabbits later on in their life, carried over into this idea that rabbits would be associated with witchcraft. As Christianity came into those regions and magic became frowned upon, this idea that the rabbit was good and could be a positive source of magic transformed into Well, if it's magic, it's evil. And the idea, though, that a witch could transform into a rabbit became a whole thing. I know we talk a lot about witches and black cats, but hares and rabbits were also considered to be very common familiars for witches as well. I mean, a witch has to have choices, right? You can't just have one thing. you you got to have options. (laughs) There was a belief. This is one of the places where we see kind of paradoxical beliefs about rabbits. But there did become a belief that if any dead part of a rabbit, a dead rabbit, any part of it ended up on a ship or a boat, it would bring torrential weather that could be potentially dangerous to the boat. So that was bad. But on the other hand, there was also the belief about the lucky rabbit's foot, which is a dead part of a rabbit. And so, I don't, you know, it just depends on what part people chose to believe. There was also a belief that if you wanted to fuck up with a fisherman, you could just say the word rabbit to them and they would have horrible luck with their catch that day. It's like when if you want to fuck with a doctor, then just tell them, wow, this sure is a calm night tonight. <laughs> You'll fuck up their entire life. <laughs> Crow takes offense every time I eat an apple. There's a story from Dartmoor where there was this hunter named Bowerman and He was going through the woods hunting, and he came across a coven of witches, and he was kind of an asshole to them. They didn't appreciate it. And one of the young witches decided that she was going to take revenge. So she took the form of a rabbit, shape-shifted into a rabbit, and led him through a deadly bog. And then when they were really deep in it and were going to have their trouble finding their way back, she turned them all into stone. (laughs) They can still be seen there today, apparently. But this idea that a a witch could take the form of a hare or rabbit and lead people into danger or cause mischief was something that we did see in a fair number of stories of the time. All right, 
let's get into slightly more malicious types of rabbits and hares. So there is something called milks or troll hares. And this was a belief that was very common in northern parts of Europe. And the idea was that a witch uh, who maybe needed some milk, because this is all about milk, create some sort of like, it, she, she would piece it together almost like a golem and bring it to life. And it would be this little rabbit that would go and steal the neighbor's milk. Now, it's not always in the form of a rabbit. Sometimes it was in the form of a cat. Sometimes it was in the form of like a gray spool. But we're talking about rabbits, so we're going to talk about the rabbit version of it. The idea was that she would take various different things. It could be like clipped off fingernails, sticks, wool, skin, human hair, brooms called besom, loom heddles. So they're like pieces of the loom. Butter, earwax, blood, all sorts of things. And she would kind of piece it together. And a lot of times there was a pact with the devil involved in this where she makes a deal with the devil and the devil helps out. Then there are various ways that this rabbit, this milk hair, this almost like golem-like creature is brought to life. It could be her giving some of her blood to it. Sometimes they used something that was considered holy and it brought it into this unholy act. So it could be like a communion wafer or there's a depiction of them using a horn, which is believed to be like a Jewish shofar, which is the horn that they would use to anoint with holy oil. So in other words, it's, it's something that's supposed to be sacred and holy, but it's brought into this dark ritual and becomes corrupt, like more corrupt than it would be if it was just a neutral thing because you're corrupting something sacred. I always find it a lot creepier when um, instead of just taking a regular item and making it unholy, taking something that is holy and making it unholy, like how in the Conjuring-esque movies, you know, they, they take a cross and they turn it upside down. That always really freaks me out. Because I'm like, no, you're doing it wrong. Yeah, and there very much is this concept that something that was good that's corrupted is now far worse than something that was neutral and corrupted. And so, yeah, it is this idea of, like, the sacred becomes profane. And that is very much a part of this. And so they also sometimes used incantations, and there were a number of different incantations they used. I found one. I'm going to tell you the incantation. This is it translated. I give you blood. This is what the witch would say. I give you blood. The devil gives you vitality. You'll run on earth for me. In other words, you do what I want you to do, and I will burn in hell for you. So the idea was always that the witch would pay an ultimate price for this. She would have to pay with her soul later. But in the meantime, life would be a lot better because she had this little servant milk hair. Um... Creepy, fucking creepy, and also to turn something that is was probably a luxury to a lot of people back in the day, like milk, like mm-hmm. and just corrupt it that way is disgusting. Yeah, and that is something that I find interesting, and it is kind of a good reminder. The witches were supposed to like give their souls in order to get this free milk, which says a lot about the value of milk (laughs) back in the day that people would say like oh yeah that is something that someone might trade their soul over is some milk you know it it is perspective it's definitely a bit of perspective on that and by the way they didn't look like a normal rabbit once they were created they looked like they were cobbled together with all of the various random things that we were talked about like 
in the artistic portrayals of them, sometimes they look more like rabbits, but I've also seen them like look like, oh, you can see there's the hair, there's the broom, there's like the little bits and pieces, which to me is great nightmare fuel. Like that, <laughs> you can just picture something like that, you know, like you go into your barn at night and there's something in the corner and then you see something come out and it's got the shape of a rabbit, but it's just cobbled together pieces of random stuff. Like, like some sort of like makeshift rabbit. That would be terrifying. <laughs> you know what it makes me think of? It makes me think of the first two cursed bunny stories together, like the poop head and the cursed rabbits. Because like the uh -huh. poop head is like the bunch of different shit used to create something. And the rabbits are the rabbits. So that would be terrifying to walk in on that. But I mean, I mean, if you're a witch and you're, and I'm, I'm not talking about like, you know, modern day witches that are fighting the patriarchy. I'm talking like, you know, the witches of old that, I don't know, I guess hated the human race. I, I don't know. Uh -huh. You'd be used to dealing with that shit right now. I mean, if you talk to the devil, then you're pretty chill with horror. I like that. Uh -huh. I fist yeah. bump you. <laughs> don't steal my hands and give them to cat. So the idea then, of course, was that the witch sends off this milk hair. The milk hare goes into the barn of someone else who has some sort of milk-giving animal. Then they would either drink the milk from the pail that where someone had milked the animal, or they would milk directly from, like, the cow's udder, in which case they were known to leave little marks on the udders, uh, which honestly was probably a sign that the cow had some sort of disease in all actuality, but... You know, if you saw marks on the udders, you'd be like, oh, a milk hare has been feeding for my cow, and that's why I can't get milk from them, and not because, you know, the animal is sick. <laughs> like a fucking chupacabra, but in rabbit form. In rabbit form. And then the rabbit would co go back to the witch and vomit the milk that it had stolen into her bucket. And then she would have the milk, and there, there are some really wild illustrations of the witch and the devil churning butter together, <laughs> which I, I don't know why I found that so funny, but they, it was pretty great. <laughs> it's pretty funny, but also really gross. Why do we all have to like bird feed each other? Like just why is it vomiting? Why can't it, why can't the rabbit carry a tiny little bucket and use it to milk the cow? Cow doesn't get hurt. Milk doesn't need to be vomited. So cool and really cute. It's a really cute image. Tiny little hands going deet deet. See, I think that's funny that you say that because I know how freaked out you get by the idea of the cat with hands. And and here you want to take something like a rabbit or a hare that you find significantly scarier and give it little hands. It wouldn't have little <laughs> hands. It would be like the same teeny, teeny tiny little paws. Do not, do not put that image in my head. I do not want rabbits with hands. I forbid that from being a real thing. Just picture the hare that with the wild eyes that you hate so much having tiny little hands and running at you. No! <laughs> Why do you do this? It's funny. <laughs> In the legends, people would try and shoot at these milk hairs, right? If you hit it with a normal bullet, it might start spewing milk, like the milk might start leaking from it, but it's not going to kill it. it. It would be fine. It would just leak milk. <laughs> but if you wanted to kill it, you could shoot it with a silver bullet. And if you managed to hit it with a silver bullet and then go over to where it was, you would see uh, a pile of sticks and straw and maybe a splash of milk where the milk hare had died, quote unquote. 
So that's kind of a fun picture too. I, I, I kind of like that one. <laughs> I like it too. He's cute. Here's a little quote I found about someone talking about someone having a milk bear. This is what it says. It says, Magnus Tilda's mother was certainly an Easter hag she was, and she had two milkers, a big one and a little one. People said she had made them out of knitting needles and heddle withes. Again, heddles are used in looms and rags. They would milk other people's cows and then run home and spit up the milk. She had a kettle in the barn, and every morning it was full, which definitely could not be explained by her having, like, healthy cows or something. <laughs> no, of course. I, I guess because that goes back to what you said, which is that was such a rare occurrence back then. Maybe most people just didn't have cows or had very unhealthy cows. Well, I know, like, cows are considered, like, one of the better milk-giving creatures to have, uh, but they are harder. You need more space. You need more food. And... They're big. So sometimes when people made these milkers, it went wrong. And there were different things that could happen if it went badly. But sometimes what would happen is the milk hair would just bring you shit. And so you see like big old cow pies at your, <laughs> in your barn that the milk hair brought you because you didn't do the spell right. <laughs> your magic sucked. <laughs> Or they could cause problems and annoy people or possibly even attack. So you did want to make sure that you did it right. They were attached to their people, though. And when uh, the owner of a milk hare died, it said that the milk hare would follow them to the coffin or grave. And I know when we said this the first time, you were like, oh, that's very cute. And I was like, are you sure that's cute, though? Because that sounds kind of terrifying. Like, this golem-esque rabbit digging down into the grave to like join you in your coffin are we sure that's cute i have questions i just thought that it was cute because i thought you know it's like you don't want to be alone when you're buried so like at least i would have something to keep me company and i just picture you know like you know at least in muslim beliefs like beliefs like angels come down to like interrogate you basically and i would have this stuffed bunny with me and they'd be like what the fuck if you were someone who had like cows or goats or sheep and you wanted to protect yourself against a milk hare uh, because, you know, you thought your neighbors were witches or something, there were things that you could do. A surprisingly large amount of it involves looking for the excrement of the milk hare. Now, there were a couple of things that they believed to be the excrement of milk hare that, of course, we know now aren't. One is like a type of fungus known as dog's vomit mold. And they would see that, and they, it's like a yellow kind of mold fungus thing. The other thing is this thing made by spittlebugs, where it kind of looks like bubbly spit that they leave behind on plants and other places they go. And that was also believed to be the excrement of milk hairs. What they would do then, what you could do, is you could boil the excrement, you could drive a nail through it, which, if you did that, was supposed to hurt the witch that had sent the milk hair. You could trap the actual milk hair or shove it in a hole, and then the owner would have to come look for it, and then you would have the owner and you could do something about it. So if you were to beat a milk hair, it would hurt the woman who had created it. And there was a belief that if butter was made from milk that was stolen by a milk hair, when you cut it, the, the butter would bleed. 
which is such an incredible visual. <laughs> now, one thing that is believed to have contributed to this belief in milk hairs is that sometimes cows would regurgitate hair, kind of like how cats do, like cats will lick themselves and then vomit up a fur ball. Cows can do something kind of similar. And so the idea is like the farmer would go out and see this pile of hair and other things that the cow had regurgitated and create some sort of folklore around it. Anyway, that's, that's what troll hairs are. And we're going to move on to something a little more modern. Crow's favorite part, urban legend time. Are you ready, Crow? Urban legends, yes. We're going to talk about the bunny man killer. The story starts in 1903 in Clifton, Virginia. This is deep in the woods. There's a small town there. Up the road from the small town is an insane asylum. Now, the people of Clifton did not like having an insane asylum that close to them, and so they got together and they created a petition that the asylum be moved. And shockingly, that went through. <laughs> It actually worked. So a new facility was built called Lorton Prison. And in 1904, a bus was commissioned to transport the prisoners from the old facility to Lorton Prison. The bus driver gets everyone piled in, starts driving through the woods to get to the new prison. And something runs out in front of the bus and he swerves and the bus rolls with all of the prisoners inside people are injured, a few people are killed, but a lot of them are well enough that they're able to escape into the woods. So now you have a whole bunch of insane asylum prisoners running around free in the woods. The start of a 1970s slasher. Yes, basically. Over the course of the next four months, police are able to capture most of these people that had escaped. However, there were two that still eluded them. One named Marcus A. Walster and another named Douglas J. Griffin. As the police keep searching, they start finding the bodies of half-eaten rabbits everywhere or dismembered pieces of rabbits. And so this idea that there was some sort of bunny man killer out in the woods started to take shape and people began to be afraid. Over time, at a place called Fairfax Station Bridge, which is still there, by the way. That is it's still a place that you could visit, but don't because it's dangerous. I'll go over why in a little bit. You're going to get fined. You're going to get fined and you're go your ass is going to jail. That's, that's only part of it, but yes. <laughs> so Fairfax Station Bridge, yes. one day they find the body of one of the dudes that was missing, Marcus. Now they were like, oh, he must have been the one killing all of these rabbits. Except for after they find his body with his throat slashed, by the way, they continue to find dead rabbits. They keep looking for the last guy, Douglas, but 1905 rolls around, they still haven't found him, and they're starting to give up. It gets later into the year, October rolls around, it's Halloween. Groups of teenagers are hanging out by the bridge doing teenage stuff like drinking and smoking and, I don't know, whatever kids do. And debauchery. 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 It starts to get closer to midnight, and everyone except for three of the teens have gone home. The next morning, the bodies of these three teens are found with their throats slashed. They have been disemboweled. 
and they are hanging from the overpass. Now, just to describe what this bridge looks like so it's clear, there's the road for the cars goes under the bridge. And then on the top of the bridge, there's like tracks for a railroad. Uh, so there, there's like a double rail line um, that goes over the top. And so just when you picture it, that's what that looks like. And they find the bodies of these three teens hanging from the upper part. So their feet are hanging down where the cars would drive. I don't like this at all because it's nighttime where I am right now. And um, Poe meowed in the other room and I literally almost shit myself. <laughs> 1906, Halloween rolls around again. There's a party with a bunch of teenagers at the bridge again because people don't learn. Midnight is approaching. There, This time there are seven people left. One of them starts to head home because she doesn't want to be there when it's midnight. And as she's walking home, it hits midnight and she sees a light approaching the bridge. She sees the light enter the tunnel where the teens are. And then she hears screaming. She gets freaked out and she runs. She runs home. She tells people what she saw and they all go to the bridge to investigate. By the time they get there, it's too late. The teens are dead. Their throats have been slashed. They've been disemboweled. And again, their bodies are hanging from the overpass. This is repeated sporadically throughout the years. It's not every year. It's just some of the years when people are still hanging out at the bridge on Halloween night past midnight. In 2001, Fox did a special on haunted places and they covered the Bunny Man Bridge, which is what this bridge came to be known as, which made it a tourist destination where people like to go. Now, I'm just going to mention here, don't go there. For one thing, the police, like Crow said, are cracking down very hard on it. They are very diligent about arresting people and giving fines that are like 10 times the normal trespassing fines. But there's a reason for that. And like I said, the, the trail for the railroad tracks goes over the bridge because it doesn't actually cross where the cars go because the cars go under the bridge. So when you have a train that goes over a road where people are actively going, there's flashing lights, there's the little things that come down to keep people from getting hit. But this is in the middle of the woods. It doesn't actually cross the road. It goes over it. And so the trains are not required to slow down or to stop or to flashlights or anything like that. And so there is a very real chance of someone getting caught by surprise and getting hit by a train. And so they're really diligent about arresting people because it's considered to be a very dangerous place because you might not see a tra train coming and you might get hit and they, they don't want anyone to get hit and die. So that's that's why we say this is a dangerous area. Don't go. So the bunny man might end up killing you, but just not in the way that you thought they uh -huh. would. Yep. So the story that I just told you, I'm going to call it a creepypasta. It was written in 1999 by a man named Timothy C. Forbes, and people found it online and the bunny man myth really took off in a big way. It kind of went viral. Not only can none of it be verified, but a lot of it can be debunked. For example, there was no asylum in that area ever. There was no such thing as the Lorton prison. And Forbes says, like, if you want to verify this, you can go to the Clifton Library. They have all of the proof you would want there. There is no Clifton Library. That, that place is also made up. This is a very small town. So none of what he wrote is true. The thing is, though, his story came out in 99 
the original Bunny Man story started in the 70s. So the Bunny Man myth predates the creepypasta that people know really well. Now, when I was looking for the actual stories, the original stories, the best person to go to for this is someone called Brian A. Conley. He is a local Clifton historian slash archivist who did quite a bit of research, and he was really able to explain pretty well what he thinks happens, and I'm going to explain that. And His paper is online. I'll provide a link to that as well. It's very informative, and if you want to look more into that, that's where I would recommend going. But he was actually a kid when these stories were circulating, and he actually remembers, you know, how kids will go get together and share like their scary stories. He remembers someone telling the story of the bunny man. As he got older, he started to question like, well, what is this really? Like what actually happened? And why do people have all of these stories? Because if there's a story, there's probably something to it. So he started doing a lot of research and he found that there were these repeated themes within the bunny man stories. One is that there was a, bu- a man dressed in a rabbit suit who would throw a hatchet into the car of couples at lover's lanes and things like that. The other is a bunny man whacking at a house's, like a support pole for a porch um, on someone's house. And so he's like, well, these are the things that are most common. Let's see if we can find anything related to that in the real world. He did a lot of search on murders because a lot of the stories did involve murder. And he was not unable to find anything that really seemed to correlate with the Bunny Man killer story. He realized that the earliest version of the Bunny Man story he could find was from 1970. And so this is diligence. I have to give it to him. Conley went through the old historical articles of 1970, just going through them one by one until he found something that seemed plausible. And he did actually find a couple, two different articles about the bunny man that are probably where this originates. So I'm going to share with you the two articles that he found. Says Fairfax County Police said yesterday they are looking for a man who likes to wear white bunny rabbit costume and throw hatchets through car windows. Honest. Now the honest comes from the story. That's not my insertion. (laughs) Whoever wrote the article Put the word honest in there, and I kind of love it. (laughs) Honest, I swear. I swear, this is true. Air Force Academy cadet Robert Bennett told police that shortly after midnight last Sunday, he and his fiancée were sitting in a car in the 5400 block of Guinea Road when a man dressed in a white suit with long bunny ears ran from the nearby bushes and shouted, You're on private property and I have your tag number, meaning the license plate number. The rabbit threw a wooden-handled hatchet through the right front car window, the first-year cadet told police. As soon as he threw the hatchet, the rabbit, quote-unquote, skipped off into the night, police said. Bennett and his fiancée were not injured. Police say they have the hatchet, but no other clues in the case. They say Bennett was visiting an uncle who lives across the street from the spot where the car was parked. The cadet was in the area to attend last week's Air Force Navy football game. That's the article. And Conley was actually able to find these people, Bennett and his fiancée. And he also found the fiancée's aunt who helped pick the glass out of this poor girl's hair after 
that event happened. And so he was able to um, at least touch base with these witnesses and, you know, they were able to confirm this story. So that's already a really good sign, right? A few weeks later, there is another event. This is all in October, by the way. So as crazy as it seems to have it, like, oh, this is something that happens around Halloween. It, it, the actual events did seem to happen right around Halloween. Here's the second article. A man wearing a furry rabbit suit with two long ears appeared again on Giddy Road in Fairfax County Thursday night, police reported. This time wielding an axe and chopping away at a roof support on a new house. Less than two weeks ago, a man wearing what was described as a rabbit suit accused two persons in a parked car of trespassing and heaved a hatchet through a closed window of the car at 5400 Guinea Road. They were not hurt. Thursday night's rabbit, wearing a suit described as gray, white, and black, was spotted a block away at 5307 Guinea Road. Paul Phillips, a private security guard for a construction company, said he saw the rabbit standing on the front porch of a new but unoccupied house. I started talking to him, Philip said, and that's when he started chopping. All you people trespass around here, Philip said the rabbit told him as he whacked eight gashes in the pole. If you don't get out of here, I'm going to bust you on the head. Philip said he walked back to his car to get his handgun, but the rabbit, quote-unquote, carrying the long-handled axe, ran off into the woods. The security guard said the man was about 5 foot 8, 160 pounds, and appeared to be in his early 20s. So that's another first-hand witness. The police did actually verify this. Conley was able to talk to the police officers, um, local police, and get like a redacted version of the police report for this. And it largely confirms what the article said, that, you know, there was this crazy guy who was whacking away at the house pole and threatened the guard and then ran off. They said they were not able to find him. Um, And so the case was turned over to investigator W.L. Johnson of the Criminal Investigation Bureau. Johnson started investigating things. He went to like the construction offices and areas there. He was unable to find the rabbit, but then Shortly afterwards, he received a call from one of the workers at that area, and the caller was like, I just talked to this axeman, and he left a message, and the axeman supposedly said, and this is a quote, Mr. Blank, and we're blanking out the name of the worker, you have been messing up my property by dumping tree stumps, limbs, and brush, and other things on the property, and the axeman went on to say, You can make everything right by meeting me tonight and talking about the situation. And then he set a time and a date to meet them. They had this time and date set. And so naturally, the police are like, well, we will go with you to meet this rabbit person. (laughs) And so they did a stakeout, basically, at the place that the rabbit man was supposed to go, except for he never showed up. And so they never did actually catch this guy. It was just those three incidents really and that's what the entire lore is based on it's kind of became like a game of telephone where you have these scary but not lethal situations and people talk about them and they get passed around i assume like everyone heard about it on the news because there are the articles about that it was probably reported on news channels as well and everyone had this in their consciousness but it just becomes like this game of telephone where the facts get passed around 
and it gets bigger and crazier and wilder every time until it devolves into stories of this crazy bunny man killer who's going around killing people when the original stories didn't have any murders in them at all. They would have been scary, though. Like, that, you can imagine that would have been terrifying. I already think they're pretty scary, to be honest. Like, I don't think that it's genuinely related to rabbits. I think that this is just someone who wanted to put on a suit and wanted to freak people out to drive them away. I think either this is someone that was so disgruntled by the system mm-hmm. because, you know, people were trespassing on his property, or it was someone who was mentally ill and did not receive the support that they needed, which are we surprised mm-hmm. at this point? Are any of us surprised? Yeah, so it, it's really scary, though. Like, if I were sitting in a car and, th- and someone tossed a hatchet right next to me, even if they weren't, like, technically using it on mm-hmm. me, I would still oh, freak yeah, out. Oh, yeah, for sure. I would that cry. That would be terrifying. Absolutely. I'm sure. And then I would call Fern and tell her about it. I'm sure it. they still remember that very, very vividly. Like, I can imagine someone having a little PTSD around that. Yeah, so, yeah. There's no question that these encounters were scary. And I think, like, the possibility that this is someone who had some sort of mental illness is is high, but not a guarantee. Like I said, they never did catch this person, so we, we can't know for sure what the motivation was or um, exactly what went through their head, why he chose to dress as a rabbit. We don't know, um, and we may never know. Although, considering this happened in the 70s and the person was described as, like, being 20, it is possible he's still alive. Maybe, maybe not. We don't know. But Conley did have a theory about the motivation for this. And basically, that area used to be rural farmland for a long time that was passed down among families. And it had recently become more urbanized. There was a lot of construction happening, a lot of houses going up. And so when the bunny man said, like, you're trespassing, it may not have been like, oh, you're on my personal home property. It may have been like, hey, this is my family's farmland and y'all need to get off because this belongs to my family, even though the property rights had already passed hands. Regardless, we don't know. He was never caught. There's no way anyone can know for sure. It is interesting that the bridge became so associated with the myth because the original story has nothing to do with that bridge. I think the association with the bridge and the bunny man came in that creepypasta in 1999 and, you know, was later popularized by the the Fox television show. Well, I mean, you do need to spice it up a little bit. Well, at the point that the creepypasta was written, people were so traumatized by serial killers that I don't think most people were still sensitized to, oh, someone tossed a hatchet into someone's car. They wanted, like, you know, to freak them Mm -hmm. out. You really had to include the blood and the guts and the... Mm -hmm. Bunny Man yeah, Bridge. Yeah, and the creepypasta does read like a lot of the ghost stories that people would tell as kids. You know, like the the whole, oh, there was an insane asylum and people running around in the woods and like dismembered rabbits and teens that were dying. Which, it makes sense that teens would be the victims it's in the story. the teenagers. Because, yeah, well, the teenagers are usually the ones telling the stories, right? The teenagers or the younger That was kids. what I was going to say. Yeah. yeah, so it makes sense. It's more relatable. Yeah, more relatable, therefore scarier. So the myth has yes. just kind of grown from there. But it is interesting to see that we can actually find an actual basis for it. So 
I thought that was cool. It is interesting, though. We have rabbits and hares that are the symbol of innocence in a lot of cultures. They're something that, what are they going to do to you, you know? <laughs> like, they're pretty harmless animals. And yet, they are associated with some really dark mythology. And it's kind of gotten even darker in time, in modern times. You know, we, we start out with things like Harvey the Puka from the classic movie, who is pretty harmless to people who are good to him, and then the awful to people who aren't. And then you get into things like Frank the Rabbit from Donnie Darko, or there's been this popularization of making evil versions of the Easter Bunny lately. I don't know if you've seen those going around, but there's gotten to be some really dark stories about an evil Easter Bunny. <laughs> I have seen those going around, actually. Even from, like, Benicula, if anyone read those books, the, the Vampire Rabbit. And it's interesting that we take symbols of something that is supposed to be innocent and harmless and turn it into something dark and scary. Also, though, that rabbits and hares have things that contribute to scary myths around them. One, rabbits and hares used to be a lot more rare than they are. They started to really take off in populations. It was a lot more common in the Middle Ages, and we started to see some big growths in rabbit and hare populations. At one point, it was uncommon to see them, so there was you would associate a lot more of a spiritual event around seeing them. The other thing is they have some behavior that can be kind of freaky. They can stand up on their hind legs, and then they have these screams that are pretty terrifying and disturbing. If you've never heard a rabbit scream, it does sound surprisingly like a person, especially like children, I think, but there are some rabbit screams that sound more like adults. There are videos of it on YouTube that you can see. Yeah, I can see, like, if you were going through the woods and this rabbit came out and stood on its hind legs and started screaming at you, that would be something that lived in your head as kind of a nightmare moment for a while. <laughs> for a good long while, to be honest. Mm -hmm. Anything that stands on its hind legs that is not meant to be standing on its hind legs is making, like, takes a one-way ticket to trauma lane. Indeed. So basically, that's what I had about rabbits and hares. Do you have anything else to add? Any any additional feelings you want to add about why hares are scary or anything like that? <laughs> no, no, nope. This just emphasizes um, all my feelings about how scary these things are. Because I just, listen, listen. My firm belief is that we fear things for a reason. And maybe the reason we fear rabbits and hares, like, logically, is because of the episode that I'm going to do next week, which goes into why we take innocent symbols and we kind of turn them into something horrific. That's the logical explanation, the psychological one. Or maybe it's because rabbits and hares are actually fucked up and our ancestors knew not to fuck with them <laughs> and find out. And that is the reason that I choose to believe. I still think any human can take a fight against a rabbit or a hare. I don't see a human losing that. So I'm not sure I understand the fear. Anyway, if you were, if you were traumatized by depictions of rabbits and hares, just realize... Some of our ancestors were as well, so it's okay. <laughs>
so you're not weird. Where can they find us? If you enjoyed this episode, feel free to give us a follow because we're available on Spotify, Amazon Music, Apple, uh, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you find your podcasts. And if you really enjoyed this episode, then feel free to leave us a review because we would love to hear what you think. We've also got social media like TikTok, Tumblr, threads that some particular person refuses to go on, Instagram, and an email that you can send the, us the weird happenings in your life or what you want us to talk about next. But until next time, this is Crow and this is Fern signing off. Bye.